0: Hello
1: everyone, welcome back to the Real Purpose of Life podcast. I am your host, Wyatt Hebblethwaite. I'm excited to bring to you another teaching episode. This comes from John Mark Hart in Chauncey Shiloh, who are ministering in OKC. And they are doing a talk on racial reconciliation. This was for our large group for our students on
0: Tuesday Night Paradigms. It's a really awesome talk. There's a couple long pauses in the audio, and that was when a member of the audience stood up and asked some questions.
1: And uh, you'll hear John Marks and Chauncey's, you know, answers to their questions in the audio, so I just wanted to give you a heads up. Also at the end, there's a cameo from our student band that played that night, so feel free to key in. It sounds super awesome, and I hope you guys enjoy the episode.
2: Project is, it is a two-month summer missions, summer missions immersion experience where you... And college students from around the U.S. will be trained in discipleship, theology, and evangelism. And every day you'll be out sharing the gospel in these neighborhoods of Norman and of South Oklahoma City. Now, I want to tell you why this is really, really important stuff. So, Norman alone has 120,000 people. A lot of people, right? 35,000 people, a third of the city, are either at the poverty line or below it. And they live in these low-income multi-housing units. And they are 90 to 95% unengaged with the gospel and unchurched. That's right here in our own backyard. And it's the exact same thing in South Oklahoma City where there are thousands and thousands and thousands of people who are almost completely unengaged with the gospel. Nobody is there telling them about Jesus and helping them know the God of the universe who loves them. And so that is what the Gospel Project dedicates itself to. And that's what you can be a part of. And so what I want to ask you to do, everybody put one finger up. All right, one, I want you to pray. And ask God, what would you have me do this coming summer? Two, I want you to come talk to me. I'm going to be at a table uh, right out those doors in the back. I'm going to give out more information. I've also got a piece of paper where if you write your name and contact info down, I will get in touch with you. Oh, your fingers are still up. Thank you. Two, come out there and talk to me. This is two, okay? Uh, and I would love to fill you in more on the gospel project. Put your hands down. Uh, so please come talk to me. I would love to fill you in. And Without further ado, I would like to introduce our speakers for tonight. They are John Markhart and Chauncey Shiloh, if you guys want to go ahead and head up this way. Yes, please welcome them up. These two men have changed my life in so many ways. They are both pastors at Christ Community Church, which is in South Oklahoma City, and they have been making disciples and leading in the city for years and years. So uh, when they get up here, I would like to pray for them. So if you guys would bow your heads with me as I pray with them, then I'll turn it over. God, I thank you for these men, just the amazing work that you've done in them, but also the work that you've done through them. I'm thankful that they are also BCM alum, that you changed their life while they were here. And Lord, I just want to pray for tonight that you would speak powerfully through them. God, would you open up our eyes, would you open up our ears, and would you open up our hearts to your word through them, Lord. I just want to pray for your blessing in this time. In your name, Jesus. Amen.
0: Check. Oh, there we are. Hi, everybody. I was really delayed. (laughs) Did you just say they were weak? Yeah, he didn't say y'all were weak. We should try again, though. Hi, everybody. So... Um, as Matthew Tramble just said, Chauncey and I get to pastor together in South Oklahoma City. We go way back. We actually met at that spring discipleship conference they were talking about roughly 16, 17, a long time ago. Years. years. That was like 16 years ago. And um, have shared a lot of life together. And uh, we, we've been, now we are on the pastoral team together at Christ Community Church. It's an inner-city context, it's a multi-ethnic context, and um, we've been asked to talk tonight about a biblical, Christ-centered perspective on the issue of racial reconciliation. Before we get started, I want to say a few just things about that topic. First of all, um, this is one of the pressing, obvious, important, gotta-talk-about issues of our time and place, right? Everybody aware of that? Like, we live in a time and in a place in which the scars of historic oppression, of ongoing inequity, um, are are very deep. And the divisions are very deep in our culture. Second thing to say about this is that when the church, let me talk about the church at our worst and at our best. When the church is at our worst, uh, and when we have been at our worst... In American Christianity, we have been profoundly complicit in the racial sin that has dominated American history in a way that has profoundly hindered the witness of the gospel and dishonored Jesus. But when we've been at our best and we've been faithful to Christ, the church of Jesus Christ has been the single most effective force in human history to overcome the boundaries that separate people, overcome injustice and racism and hatred. And when that happens, Jesus gets great glory. Human beings made in the image of God can flourish. And our gospel witness has authenticity and integrity. So this is not like a side issue. This is really important for the Bible, as we're about to talk about. And it's really important for mission. Third thing I want to say, though, is we are not sitting up here as experts that got it all figured out. You got it all figured out, Chauncey? No. I don't have it all figured out either. So instead, what we want to do is just have a conversation as kind of a... Uh, fellow travelers with you on this journey we're learning all the time about uh, issues of racial justice racial equity racial reconciliation but being in a context in which it's sort of in our face in pastoral ministry every day where we have to think about it has drove us to our knees in prayer it's drove us to the scriptures drove us to learn from people who are farther ahead of us on this journey and we want to share some insights with you so without further ado we're going to kind of go back and forth and share about four biblical principles we're probably going to ramble a lot but we created a structure of four biblical principles that you can hang all our rambling thoughts about as we go back and forward. So Chauncey, let me say a quick word of prayer for you and then you take us away. Father, we already had a prayer, but I just want to pray again right now that the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart would be pleasing to you. Spirit of the living God, would you do a work here tonight in every one of our hearts to make us more like Jesus. There's anybody here who is hurting and the issues that We're talking about our deep issues of pain in their own journey. I pray that something of the healing grace of Jesus would touch and bring healing to hearts tonight. And for all of us, Lord, I pray that there would be a deepened resolve to join you in your healing, reconciling work in the world. In Christ's name, amen.
3: Well, the first point I want to start with, first principle, is that we need to learn to see the racial challenges in our world today through the lens of the Bible. Amen. Thank you, Jay. And by the way, you feel do great, free bro. at this time to talk back. We just we love that. We're so not we're used free. to you sitting there quietly when yeah, we're talking. It all. makes us very nervous. So please, speak back. There are a lot of lenses we can look through to talk about this issue. We can find, uh, we can look to the media for a lens. It gives us a, a lens to think about racial reconciliation. Uh, politics gives us a lens. Not a very good one, not a very clear one. But a lens to think about racial reconciliation. Our families can teach us how to think about racial reconciliation. But what I've learned to do in, in my journey is learn that that we don't have to look outside of the, of the scriptures or of the Christian faith to learn about racial reconciliation. God has a lot to say about it. And the Bible gives us God's lens for the topic of racial reconciliation. So to start off, what I'm going to do is I'm going to, in about nine minutes, I'm going to try to paint a biblical framework for thinking about racial reconciliation. So I'm trying to sum up what the Bible says in like nine minutes. I mean, I'm going to talk really fast, okay? But as I'm I talk... I'm excited by this, Chauncey. I appreciate it, bro. Now, as I talk, uh, there are four words that I want us to remember. So everybody say creation. Creation. Fall. Fall. Redemption. Redemption. Consummation. Consummation. So if you lose track, just know one of those markers is coming back, all right? So that's what we're doing, giving an overview of the Bible. So in the first, first we're going to talk with creation. wouldn't say creation. So, in the first chapter of the first book of the Bible, we hear something revolutionary about anthropology. We read that people are made in the image of God. Listen to Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So, God created man in his own image. Everyone say, own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, this passage tells us many things about people. It tells us about our purpose. It tells us about our relationship with the rest of the created order. But what is extremely important in in this passage, specifically with regard to this conversation about racial reconciliation, is that humans are made in the image of God. Humans are made in the image of God. Now, this means that every single person is important. Every single person is worth considering. Every single person is worthy of honor and respect. Every single person is worthy of fair treatment, whether they're a short person or a tall person, a skinny person or a stout person, a male or a female, a dark-skinned person or a light-skinned person. You have inherent dignity because you are human. So made in the image of God. We have inherent dignity, worth, value. But not only that, to be made in the image of God also means that we are people made to reflect the likeness of God. This means that people are meant to treat other people with inherent dignity, inherent value, and inherent worth. People are made to reflect the goodness of God in their treatment of other people. Negatively, this means that if we treat people as unimportant or not worthy of our honor or not worthy of our respect or not worthy of our consideration, then we are We are working counter to the created order and contrary to the words of God. But positively, what this means is that when we treat people with importance, as people who are worthy of consideration, worthy of honor, worthy of respect, we are reflecting the heart and the character of God. That's a privilege. This is the way that. God made the world. And God made people to live in right relationship with him and right relationship with all of creation, including other people. And when we live according to God's words, we experience life in perfect harmony. And when we and, and with, that's what the Bible calls shalom. Everyone say shalom. 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 Shalom is the right ordering of all of creation. Creation rightly ordered to God, creation rightly ordered to the rest of creation. This is what God made. But sin jacked this up. If we keep reading in Genesis, we come to chapter 3. After creation comes the fall. Everyone say fall. Fall. Now in the fall, people choose autonomy, self-rule, living by their own law over living under God's rule. And this destroys shalom. It always destroys shalom. We live according to our rule, not God's rule. It always destroys shalom. In Genesis chapter 3, we hear hear a serpent come to the woman that God has made. And the the serpent calls the woman to doubt the words of God by twisting the words of God. Whereas in chapter 2, we hear God saying, you shall surely die if you eat of this tree. We hear the serpent say, you will not surely die. He directly contradicts the words of God. The woman believes his words over God's words and the harmony that they had before is gone. I'm not going to walk through the whole Genesis 3 text, but from this, this, this autonomy comes shame, comes guilt, and most importantly for this conversation comes broken relationship. Broken relationship. Now, the perfect harmony of people with God and people with creation and people with each other is broken in Genesis 3. And if you look through the rest of the narrative of the Old Testament, what you find is everything from fratricide to genocide. Everything from genophobia to ethnocentrism to tribalism. Broken relationships are everywhere. Sin falls short of reflecting the glory and the goodness of God. Sin destroys community. Theologian Cornelius Plantinga describes sin as vandalism of shalom. Now, you've seen vandalism. When you go and see graffiti, something torn up, something's not supposed to be torn up. Well, what sin does is it vandalizes Shalom. And all of us have experienced the fracture of the vandalism of Shalom. Broken families, broken friendships, broken relationships. We've all experienced it. Brokenness in my own self. You could even say that it characterizes much of the race relationships in the U.S. But that brings up our third point. Because with Jesus there is hope. Everyone say redemption. redemption. Say it like this. Redemption. Because there's hope in redemption. And say it like you, bro. Bro, I appreciate it. The Apostle Paul, in his letter to the Colossian church, refers to Jesus as the image of the invisible God. So we he heard the image of God. Now we hear the image of the invisible God, and in Jesus we see the ultimate revelation of the image of God. Jesus is what perfect humanity looks like. Everywhere Jesus went, he brought reconciliation. He taught people what God is like, how God is full of grace and full of truth. He teaches people how to relate to God, how to pray, how to interpret the scriptures, how to how to view religious practices. He teaches them how to relate to other people, how to how to prefer somebody else's good over my own good, how to practice radical generosity, how to forgive even when you've been wronged, how to speak up for the marginalized without despising those in power or the rich. He teaches us what reconciliation looks like. And we have said that the way to life is to have is to have, he said, the way to have perfect harmony with God and perfect harmony with one another is only possible through faith in him, that's what he says. I'll give you a story to illustrate this point. In the book of John, there's a story about Jesus um, walking with his boys. And he's walking through the desert, about the middle of the day, and he gets really thirsty. And so he stops, and his boys go on to get some food. But he stays there. And this woman comes out in the middle of the day, like the hottest part of the day. So she's like an outcast. And she comes out and he says, uh, can you draw me some water? She says, look, you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. And you're asking me for a cup of water. See, Jews and Samaritans had beef, mad beef for centuries, centuries. They didn't get along. If If I'm a Jew and you're a Samaritan, I cross to the other side when I see you. I don't have anything to do with you. Think apartheid, South Africa. I mean, this is like, this is what we're talking about. And and Jesus asked her for a drink. She says, you talking to me? And Jesus responds and says, if you knew who you're talking to, you'd ask me for some water. And she said, but you don't have anything to draw the water with. And he says this in John 4, verses 13 and 14. He says, Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus says the only way to get perfect harmony is by drinking my water. See Jesus came to this woman and asked for her hospitality and the woman responded with exactly what the culture fed her tribalism ethnocentrism centuries old prejudices and Jesus responds with an invitation he says drink my water he says whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again Talk he about says the preacher bro, up here, man. he says listen he says <laughs> whoever Now this is me high, bro. This is thanks bro you don't need to wake up out there He <laughs> says whoever everyone say whoever Now, this (laughs) flies in the face of the Jim Crow South. Preach. This isn't colored water fountains and whites only water fountains. He said, my water is for anybody who comes to me to drink. Anyone who comes to him and embraces him will find eternal life that is better than any homogenous community. Whoever. Come to me and drink. I'm going to give you life going to rise above your tribalism, rise above your ethnocentrism, I'm going to rise above all that stuff. And that's we come to the last term. It's consummation. would say consummation. Consummation. Uh, now, consummation is what we mean when we talk about the end of all things. The, per- the point at which everything is complete and final. Now I'm about out of time, so I want to rush through this. But what the Bible teaches is that the purpose for everything is this. In Ephesians 1 verse 10 it says this, a plan for the fullness of time. To unite all things in him, that is Christ. To unite all things in Christ, things in heaven and things in earth. This means the summing up of all things, where everything is headed is to unite all things in Jesus. Everything will find its fulfillment in in Jesus. And what does that look like? Revelation 7 verses 9 and 10. Let me read this to you. After this I looked and behold... A great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Summed up in Jesus. Clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Where we're going, where we're going is shalom. Which means every tribe, every tongue, every people group, every Ethnicity, united in Jesus before the Lamb who died on the cross for their sins. United by one truth, that he saved them. That was it. That was it. That's where we're going. So creation, fall, redemption, consummation gives us a framework, a lens through which we can see, the we, we can look and, and, and encounter the racial challenges we have in the world. Because God speaks about it. And he says... Listen, that division ain't my way. I'm here for shalom.
0: Hmm. Chauncey just preached the whole Bible in 10 minutes. Y'all want that, dog. We should like clap or something. That was, that was awesome. <laughs> so I just have a real simple point. first principle Chauncey gave you was we need to learn to look at the racial, ethnic, crisis, tension, stuff going on in our culture right now through a biblical lens. I want to make a simple point. We need to bring a massive amount of humility to this racial reconciliation conversation. And we can relate this to the something Chauncey was talking about. Because right now we live between, he talked about creation, fall, redemption, consummation. Well, we live in a time, Jesus has come. He's brought redemption into the world. That's right. We already have the Holy Spirit. We're already one in Christ at the spiritual level. And yet we have not yet reached the consummation point in which We're all made whole and none of us are sinners, and there's no more racial wounds or any other kind of wounds um, breaking our hearts every day. So, while we're between those two, living between what Jesus has already accomplished and what not yet has come to be, the reality is if we're followers of Christ, we have the Holy Spirit, we're reconciled, but we also still have our own junk to deal with, don't we? We've got our own wounds, we've got our own sin, we've got our own blind spots, and if we're going to be a part of redemption in this world, we've got to have radical humility. Let me give you a couple Bible verses on humility and then talk about some ways that this might play out in this racial reconciliation issue. A couple Bible verses, one from the Old Testament, one from the New. Proverbs 11.2 says this, When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. There's a lot of talk about issues of racial reconciliation and justice but a lot of the talk isn't particularly wise it's not going to necessarily lead us to healing if we want to have a wise approach to this issue um, rather than misguided passion or complacency but like a holy humble zealous wise approach we got to start with humility philippians 2 3 says this do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit but in humility count others more significant than yourselves here's a Truth, which is maybe a hard truth, but I think we got to face the fact. If the church of Jesus Christ in the United States of America had simply lived out Philippians 2.3, count others more significant than yourselves. Just the Christians. Not expecting the world to act like Jesus. But if just the Jesus-worshiping, Bible-believing, church-going folk in America had lived like this, in humility, count others more significant than yourself. 85% of the racial trauma in America never would have happened. Because what, what's behind centuries of chattel slavery, dehumanizing people, embracing racial ideologies that came from a godless secular culture and not from the word of God, is arrogance. It's not considering others more important than ourselves. What uh, lies behind the displacement and, and the genocide of Native American peoples is an arrogance. It's not considering others uh, more important than ourselves. So, if arrogance has what been what has got us to this place, and and folks, the church church was complicit. There was a whole lot of deacons and Baptist churches that were members of the KKK, this, all throughout this part of the country. And if if pride and racial arrogance is what has got to this place, then humility is going to have to be a huge part of the solution. So, let's talk about a couple of the ways that humility might play out in this. First thing, I want to give you something really practical. If we're going to be humble about this conversation, humility is going to look like you and me being intentional, proactive learners who listen to people who are different than us. Intentional, proactive learners who listen to people who are different than us. The Bible talks a lot about listening. James 1.19 says, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Proverbs 12.5 says, the way of a fool was right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. It's a mark of humility that we listen and learn from others. And um, in this conversation, I just want to say um, that there's a lot of people from a lot of different backgrounds here, but uh, the majority of this group is the majority culture, white folks who look like me. We need to be really proactive about learning from faithful Jesus-following Leaders who are uh, people of color who are coming from minority cultures and from other parts of the world. Let me give you some practical suggestions. Here's some ways you can learn: sermons. I'm gonna start. I'm gonna start with sermons and books. I, hey, I never. I don't think I've ever in my life encouraged people to get out their cell phones when I'm preaching. But we're not preaching tonight. We're just having a conversation. So I'm gonna asking you to get out. Come on. Uh, Get out your cell phone real quick. Go to your podcast app. Go subscribe to listen to Charlie Dates preach every Sunday. Come on. Progressive Baptist Church in Chicago. Um, I I love Charlie Day. It's one of my favorite people to listen to. You could add other people to this list. Uh, Eric Mason would be a good one. Micah Edmondson would be a good man. The thing about the black church tradition is not only is it biblically deep and spiritually deep, but it's also a beautiful rhetorical tradition. It's like I'm trying to – I actually am never going to preach like Charlie Day when I grow up, but I imagine (laughs) in my mind that it could happen. I mean, it's a a delight to listen. But when our brothers and sisters – who have a different experiential and cultural background than us, read the scriptures, they find stuff that's really in the Bible that we were overlooking. That's right. And they find applications to the world that we might have been missing as well. So I'm going to go back to the lens metaphor. Chauncey talked about looking at the world through your lens, but also or through the lens of the scripture. We look at the scripture through the lens of our own experience and our own culture. So we need to learn how to read the Bible through other people's lenses. And if you go listen to some of these Brothers preaching God's word on a regular basis like I'm talking about when they're talking about the same Bible verse. First of all, they're going to talk about some Bible verses that we kind of left out in our white evangelical church. Just type into your Bible app sometime how many times the word justice appears in the Bible. And then ask yourself how many sermons you've heard about it if you grew up in a white evangelical church. I'll clap for Jesus, sure. Jesus is great. Hey, I appreciate your comment, bro. What, one thing that I would say, though, is t- talking about the history of sin and the pain and the divisions that we're dealing with is not going to, um, it doesn't cause the divisions. It acknowledges divisions that are already going on so that we can get to this place of talking about what deep unity in Christ can really look like. Hey, I appreciate your sharing perspective, bro. So listening to some of these guys, you can hear some wisdom. That's, it's hard-earned hard wisdom through the school of hard knocks through many years. You can talk, we can talk about books that we can learn from. T- let me tell you some of the books that have really helped me along the journey. Um, John M. Perkins is one of my heroes. John M. Perkins, one of my heroes, uh, role models. He's written a lot of books. His book, Let Justice Roll Down, um, really shaped my life. His more recent book, One Blood gives a deep Christ-centered perspective on some of the issues that are going on in our culture right now, kind of bringing us up to date of current issues. Chauncey and I live in a community in which something like 60, 60% of our community is Latino, uh, mostly first and second generation immigrants from Mexico. So issues uh, like immigration issues um, that are, not, are going on in our culture, they're not just hot-button political issues. They're like an existential issue for our church members and our friends. So tomorrow morning at 6 a.m., I'm going to be having breakfast with a guy who has DACA, um, which is today in the Supreme Court. Um, You know, a lot about his future is going to be determined today in the Supreme Court. And so for him, that's a really live issue. Going into those relationships, I didn't have an an understanding of the context and of all that would be necessary um, to love people and understand people what's going on. But I got a lot of help through books like the book, Welcoming the Stranger by two great Christian leaders, Matthew Sorens and Ginny Yang. So I'm giving you some resources here, hoping you can write down some stuff, put some stuff on your phone. You can go on Amazon and buy the books right now if you want to, like "Let Justice Roll Down by John Perkins or Welcome to the Stranger by Matthew Sorens and Ginny Yang. And the investment of time that is required to humble ourselves and learn from people with a different perspective, different background, can bear tremendous dividends over the long haul in, in, in our life. I'm, gonna, I'm running out of time here, so let me just say a couple of quick thoughts for you to ponder, and then I'm going to hand this back over to Chauncey. We've got to pick up our pace here. Humility for many of us may mean slowing down to practice the biblical discipline of lament instead of thinking we can quickly fix things. Sometimes in our pride, we feel like, okay, I'm going to say a prayer and get zealous and go fix this thing real quick. But we've got to recognize, hey, if we have centuries of pain, it's uncomfortable to sit in that pain. But there's a whole book of the Bible called Lamentations. A whole bunch of the Psalms is lament. Jesus teaches us the discipline of lament when he walks up to Jerusalem and weeps. He says, how long did I get? Uh, for how, how long did I long to gather you like a hen gathers her chicks? Sometimes we just have to slow down and learn the discipline of lament, which is naming and grieving for the brokenness of the world including the church's complicity in that brokenness. Humility might mean learning to lay down my own preferences in order to honor other people. Humility may mean recognizing and acknowledging the ways for some of us that we have benefited, no fault of our own, from a system that was inequitable. And not living in guilt or shame for that, but maybe having a sense of responsibility. If that's the case, now how am I going to take the resources that have come to me and steward those for the good of others and the glory of Jesus Christ. Humility for some of us may mean leading us to pray more because we recognize that we really need God's help. We can't do it our own. So it's going to take a lot of humility. Uh, We over time. You got to keep going. All right.
3: Thank you, Joe Martin.
0: Hey, you're welcome, Chauncey.
3: Third point. We will come to know and enjoy the beauty of God when we learn from and worship with people who are different from us. We will come to know and enjoy the beauty of God when we learn from and worship with people who are different from us. Now, I know in this ministry there's a focus, a major focus on missions, taking the good news to people of other cultures. When we talk about cross-cultural engagement, we often emphasize what we will give to people in another culture, right. And what we don't talk about as much is what we're going, how much we're going to re- receive when we engage in cross-cultural, across cultural boundaries for the sake of Christ-centered reconciliation. When we engage across cultural boundaries, we are going to receive as much or more than we give. And let me show you a passage that emphasizes this point that we need diversity. Look in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm gonna fly through this. Paul is writing about the importance of the diversity of the spiritual gifts in the body of Christ. And in verse 14, Romans 1 Corinthians 12, 14. Says, for the body does not consist in one member but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Now, the diversity of spiritual gifts is what Paul is emphasizing in this passage. But we can agree that there are many types of diversity in, sometimes in the local church, all the time in the universal church. Universal church is made up of of all different kinds of cultures. And so we have spiritual gift diversity, we have age diversity, we have ethnic diversity. And Paul is writing this passage for two reasons. One, to rebuke those who would say, I got nothing to give to the body. Because every part is significant. And he would say, for those that say, I don't need this part of the body because they're different from me. Paul would say an emphatic no. says that's not what I'm talking about. He would say that we all need each other. We all need each other. Look at your neighbor and say, I need you. I need you. And look at your other neighbor and say, I need you. I need you. And and say, You need me. You need me. (laughs) You need me. Now, you may not think that's true, but that is very true. It's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. The Bible's true. The Bible's true. And if we want to come to know and enjoy the depth of the beauty of God, we need to learn from and worship with parts of the body that are not like me. Okay? Let me tell you a couple things that I, a few things that I've learned, and I'm gonna use the word I'm gonna use the word black church. Why? Because since about 1870, it's been the black church. Because because when black folks went up to the altar to pray, people dragged them out and said, "Don't come back." Look at how the National Baptist Association was created. Things I've learned from the black church and from my black family are things like this, that. Education is important in my life, not just for my own well-being, because God taught me to love him with all my mind, but education undermines oppression. When you learn that the book talks, you now have access. You now have access to wisdom and knowledge that wasn't yours otherwise. I learned about resilience and faith in the midst of significant adversity. I learned from my mom, who way back in like 1968, integrated her university in the first black class to go through Stephen F. Austin State University. She sat in a class as the only black woman in that that class, the only black person in that class, And the teacher began to speak, and he used the N word Mm. and then gave her a D in the class. Mm. And she took the class again because she wasn't going to settle for a D. Resilience and faith. Learned about how to rejoice with hope even under the boot of oppression. If you go into a black church, you're not going to find people mourning, they're celebrating. The hope that they have in Jesus. And I can learn some of the same things from my Latino brothers. When I was in Cuba, we spent from the middle of the afternoon until late at night out in the middle of a rural town because, because we couldn't be seen. Worshiping the Lord. Even though it was illegal. Why? Because suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. I came to the OUBCM and I have some mentors who look like my brother. And what do they teach me? They taught me that deep study of the word of God is something that will transform not only your mind, but your heart.
1: Mm.
3: I learned the importance of Spending time in a coffee shop with somebody. I don't even drink coffee.
1: <laughs>
0: well.
3: <laughs> Why? Because it's not just about discipleship on a corporate scale. That I need somebody who can look into the pain and the depth and the, 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 my own failures and the darkness of my soul to help me see grace there. Mm-hmm. And find healing and reconciliation. I learned that family don't have to look like you. I learned that I can be adopted by some white grandmothers. (laughs) And I don't have to eat chitlins. (laughs) I can eat mac and cheese. That's not necessarily as... Prepared a little different. Prepared a little different.
4: (laughs) (laughs) But it's really good. Both are good. Both are good.
3: (laughs) After I graduated from the University of Oklahoma, I moved to South Oklahoma City. And I joined a, a Spanish language congregation. And the first Sunday I was there was around September 12th, you don't know what September 12th is, it's Mexican Independence Day, it's not Cinco de Mayo, it's Mexican September 12th. Mm-hmm. it's coming around that time, and I became family, I learned that disciple making isn't just coffee shop, mm-hmm. but it is, you, I, I, I learned that I can't, I can't be discipled by my Guatemalan friend unless I've had his mama's arroz con pollo
4: mm-hmm. on a
3: Sunday afternoon, that Incorporation in the body of Christ is incorporation into a new family. I learned the power of faithful, fervent prayer when I saw mamas and grandmas pray for decades for husbands to come to know Jesus. And then finally they did and became the rock for the rest of their family. So when we we worship with and learn from people who don't look like us, we learn something about the beauty of the gospel that I wouldn't just get from my own tradition. But that can only be made possible and made 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 manifest through the diversity of the body of Christ. So, say that one more time. We will come to know and enjoy the beauty of God when we learn to learn from and worship with people who don't look like us.
0: Final point, we out. I'm gonna try to be quick on this. (laughs) But it hasn't worked so far. So a few more minutes. (laughs) Um I I think one of the key things, guys, is we need to recognize the importance of the biblical connection between the issues of reconciliation and justice. They go together. We need to learn to recognize the importance of the biblical connection between the issues of reconciliation and justice. Let me give you a couple Bible verses to just start you thinking on. It's a deep, both deep topics. But to get you started thinking about this and then say a couple words about how that might help us as we face this issue. First, listen to something Jesus says about forgiveness in interpersonal relationships. Luke chapter 17, verses 3 and 4. Pay attention to yourselves... If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Now a couple um, observations about this. First observation is Jesus is calling us to a radical, long-suffering, persistent commitment to reconciliation. If your brother keeps sinning against you over and over and over in the same day... You're still going to be trying to forgive him and reconcile in this relationship. That's reconciliation. But the second point I want to make is that Jesus didn't say, if your brother sins, forgive him. He says, if your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. Meaning, a, a the Christian vision of reconciliation doesn't just mean we sort of shrug our shoulders and dismiss the reality of sin, the reality of pain and of broken relationships. We've got to confront evil. We've got to name it because if we don't, what we're having is not real reconciliation, not real restored relationship. We're just having a continuation of injustice, inequity, oppression, um, but pretending that's not happening. So this call to a radical will to um, reconciliation is consistent with saying we've got to name the problems. We've got to talk about the problems and deal with them in order to move towards real lasting peace, not a false peace. That doesn't mean if they don't repent that you, you hate your enemies. Jesus says love your enemies, but it, it means love is going to continue to name the issue and try and move towards real peace, not a fake peace. Along these same lines in Jeremiah chapter 8, the prophet Jeremiah, the Lord God speaking through the prophet Jeremiah rebukes some false prophets in Israel because there was a lot of sin and uh, specifically a lot of injustice that was happening, injustice and idolatry that were happening in Israel, and, but the, and God was upset about it. God was about to bring discipline about it. But the false prophets were saying, everything is okay. And listen to what the text says. God says to these false prophets, they have healed the wounds of my people lightly. Saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Put a band-aid on a huge gaping wound. They said, peace, peace, when there was no peace. They healed the wounds of my people lightly. Real healing meant real naming of sin. Real hard conversations. Real repentance, real lament, the brokenness and the pain uh, that is going on. And in scripture, there's a call to name the evil and to try and correct it. Uh, Isaiah 117 just says, correct oppression. If there's an imbalance of power that's diminishing the glory of God by dehumanizing people, back to what Chauncey said, people are made in the image of God. So when we treat people badly, we're dishonoring the creator. If that's happening, we've got to name it, we've got to confront it, we've got to deal with it. Now, um, here's an observation that I've had over the years. We have been involved on a lot of conversations like this um, in a lot of different settings. And often there will be forward progress on talk about reconciliation. Um, we're one in Jesus, we're united in Christ, until somebody... Uh, usually somebody who's from a minority community who's facing uh, oppression who's facing suffering goes is going through something difficult it's their pain it's their real life but it is also a controversial issue and they start talking about it and uh, then often what happens is folks from the majority culture will say hey you're tr- you're being too political we need to stay focused on Jesus and and the and the, the conversation is getting shut down at that moment And what the scripture is leading us to do is say, hey, let's talk about that pain. Let's talk about that conversation. So if I can give you a visual to work with, two legs. We're walking towards the peaceable kingdom of God, what Martin Luther King Jr. called beloved community. Two legs, reconciliation and justice. If all we ever do is talk about justice in a way that we're angry at the suffering and the pain, but we don't have a biblical Christ-centered conception of forgiveness and reconciliation, we might be moving around a lot on our justice leg, but look, We ain't going nowhere. If on the other hand, we've got a Christ-centered commitment to forgiveness and reconciliation, but we're not honoring what Jesus says about justice, then we're still moving around a lot, but we ain't going anywhere. Instead, we need to teach the whole counsel of God. And just one positive example, if we talk about what this could look like. Real reconciliation, where I see it all over. I'm excited. I'm encouraged about what Jesus is doing in our city, in our state. And all around the country right now even in the midst of a whole lot of pain but where i see a lot of real reconciliation is stuff like this it's stuff like in our community a few years back an african american grandmother grabbed me by the arm said she brought me the report card for her son who might have the joy of leading to christ and mentoring and and then i asked how his grades were doing and he showed me his report card. he'd repeated third grade um and he, he was failing all of his language art stuff and she just grabbed me she was a christian godly woman And she grabbed me by the arm and said, this is our problem in the black community. They are not teaching our kids how to read. And the reality is that in Oklahoma City, there is a tremendous inequity of our educational system. Um, The schools are still separate. They're still unequal in terms of resources and every measurable outcome. She was lamenting. She was grieving. And I felt like this was a holy moment in which God was calling me to do something. What happened was we tapped the shoulder of an OUBCM student who was coming to Christ Community Church and said, would you start working with this kid at an individual level? And he started working with him a few hours a week on his reading, and within a few weeks, his reading scores went from like 25% to he's getting A's and B's. Now here's what's significant about that. If you don't get your reading scores up to level by the end of third grade, you're four times more likely to not finish high school, which makes you 16 more times more likely to go to jail. So if, I, if I'm in a neighborhood in which eighty something percent of the kids are below reading level in third grade, which is the statistic. You can see the long-term ramifications of that in terms of mass incarceration and cycles of poverty and and so on and so forth. So praise God for the difference He made in that kid's community. But we were saying like this, I don't think God called us into this holy moment to listen to this grandmother for just that just kid. That kid. Right. So we' just like we kept praying to say, let's instead of running away from that, let's enter into that pain like Jesus did for us. And entering into that pain has meant stuff like Chauncey, is pioneering our school's ministry team. So we got people from Christ Community Church going to Coolidge Elementary School, reading with a bunch of kids every week now, third graders, to help them get their reading score up. Um, It it looked like getting together with other people in our our neighborhood, Christian leaders, uh, black, white, Latino leaders coming together and saying, hey, this issue of education inequity is hurting some of us in some of our churches, and in the body of Christ, we're one. So if it hurts you, it hurts me. And we're going to enter into that pain together and started talking about solutions. Some of those meant going together to advocate at the state capitol uh, for more resources for for our teachers. And God provided those. He answered prayers and, and teachers got some resources. Some of that meant we started wrestling with the question, we've got some awesome Christian schools in our city but they're very expensive, so inner-city kids don't have access to them. And we started praying and praying and praying about that. And now there's this great new school, St. Paul's Community School on the south side, which is a Christ-centered school, which is not tuition-driven. So there's uh, kids, black, white, brown kids, going to school together in an integrated classroom where they're hearing the gospel of Jesus. But that just took years of work and prayer. But where we said, hey, let's be serious about what Jesus says about justice, to enter into to lock arms together and enter into the pain There we found real reconciliation. And the the deep unity comes when we're willing to hurt those issues. I'm pretty sure we're over time right now. So Chauncey, why don't you lead us in a prayer and we can wrap up. Hey, guys, thanks for having a good conversation. Hey, this is a hard topic. It's difficult and painful to talk about. So I want to commend you for being here and taking this step on the journey. Appreciate you guys.
3: I also want to give a shout out to the, the other BCM that's here, up in the back. I appreciate you guys being here. Awesome. The Black College Ministry from IV. Can we say a prayer for us and we'll finish up? Our gracious Father in heaven, our gracious Father in Heaven, we thank you that in Christ we can be one. I pray you would give us resilience and a commitment to seek reconciliation, to preach the gospel, and to work for justice in every sphere whether we're teachers or engineers, they're going to be lawyers or doctors or construction workers or whatever, that we would, we would think about and meditate on and, and ask you, how do you want me to use the resources and the training and the talent and the education you've given me to seek your heart? And I thank you so much for the vision we have of the hope that we have in Christ. And Lord, we lament that we're a, we're a long way from that in a lot of ways. And we pray that you would continue the work of reconciling your church to you and to each other for the sake of Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.
4: Even when I don't see it, even when I don't see it, you working, even when I don't feel it you are working, you never stop, you never stop, Ooh. you never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't feel it you working. even when I don't see it you working, you never stop, you never stop working, you never stop, you never stop. Never stop. You never stop, you never stop working Amen, Jesus
0: Thank you, Jesus, that that is true And that we are able to cling to that, Lord To know that even when we don't see it, you're working Even when we don't feel like anything is happening in our life Lord, that you are working and you're in the waiting And we can cling to that And Jesus, we just I pray that each person in this room will remember that and cling to that Um, no matter what their situation is. And um, I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.
2: Hello. What a great night. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed. We'll see you next Tuesday.